Friday, everyone. Welcome to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Burrard. I'm your host, Michelle Burrard, founder and CEO of Michelle A. Burrard LLC and Urban Book Editor. And I'm really happy to share this hour with you where we examine all those places where spirit meets life and the joys and challenges that may bring. You guys know I like to start by thanking Ms. Beverly Black and Tribe Family Channel for helping me create this space for us. Tribe Family Channel is home to an assortment of thought-provoking shows that explore life, spirit, business, and culture, including The Woman at the Well, hosted by Ms. Beverly Black herself. Somewhere in the Middle was born on Tribe Family Channel, and though we've grown onto our own platform, we are ever grateful and loyal to our roots. To paraphrase an African proverb, we're here only because we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. I'd like to say thank you to my guests on the March 13th show, business mentor, Anna Robles. You can connect with Anna on social media. If you missed that show, make sure you listen to the replay. You can find our complete show archives, including the March 13th show at the somewhere in the middle podcast.com. I also want to shout out Bruce George of the Geniuses Common Movement, which encourages all of us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world. This is a really important message that we share with the kids, guys, but it's not just for the kids. We adults sometimes need to be reminded that the world needs our genius. Learn more about the Genius is Common movement at www.geniusiscommon.com. This week's guest is really interesting, and I'm excited to bring him to you guys. Dewandis Johnson Sr. was born and raised on the west side of Chicago in the Lawndale community. He fell into the street life at an early age and was sent to prison when he was 17. Upon his release and while on parole, he left the grimy streets of Chicago and landed in Omaha, Nebraska. Unable to shake his go get it by any means necessary attitude, he found himself in prison again. While in federal prison, he was introduced to one of the legends of Chicago lifestyle and gained knowledge about other ways to live successfully. This friendship between the two men awakened a new understanding of life for Dewandas, and a new goal was born. Today, Dewandas is the author of several books and has no plans to stop writing. His goal is to give unfiltered testimonies to people that either don't know or don't care about the untold truths in the ghettos of America. Dewandas' writing style can be described as alive, vivid, and extremely raw. His first novel was published under Royal Roar Publishing, LLC, and his second, All Cried Out, was released in January of 2020. So I would like to welcome Dewandis Johnson to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Burrard. Dewandis, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Well, you may or may not have heard that I like to start my interview with two questions, and that's because I think they really give some insight into you as a person and you as a creator. So if you're all set, I'll ask those two questions. Go ahead. I'm ready for you. All right. Dewandis Johnson, who are you and how did you become who you are today? Well, right today, I am a community activist. Uh, I do a lot of uh, community service work. I have a nonprofit organization, HACC LLC. Uh, we specialize in uh, uh, bullying. We did a big show for the bullying, a bullying campaign. Uh, we specialize in it's an STD awareness, uh, nutrition, uh, big brother type of uh, events. So right now I'm uh, 
giving back to the community that I uh, played a big part in, in destroying when I was in my younger days. Uh, I have done a lot of state time. I have done a lot of federal time. Uh, I'm a former gangbanger, uh, you know, running the streets, doing all of that. Uh, one day, a light bulb just went off and uh, told me that I had a story to share. And uh, I've always been uh, a, a very uh, consistent person. Whenever I was doing something, that's what I was doing. When I was running the streets, that's what I was doing. I, it didn't make a difference about your opinion. So now I am, you know, trying to teach one. If I can reach one teenager, you know, before they go down that road that I went down, I think my job is complete. So you said something interesting to me. You said that you are trying to rebuild the communities you were helping to tear down when you were younger. Yes. So yes. tell me more about that. Well, I was, uh, I've done some uh, pimping. I've sold some drugs. I've shot people. I've been shot, been stabbed. Um, I was uh, a product of my environment. I didn't have uh, an idea that you can be successful outside of selling drugs or outside of gangbanging. I knew nothing about being an engineer or an architect. You know, those things never came across my plate. So, you know, uh, it, didn't, it didn't shine any light on those situations until I got incarcerated in federal penitentiary. And uh, I ran across a, a real good guy, a Chicago legend, and he, uh, he shed some light on some things that I was totally blind to. And he's a good friend still today. So what kinds of things did he shed light on for you? There was a, there's, there's, there's another way to survive. And the way that you survive is how you're going to die. The way that you live is how you're going to die. So if you are uh, running the street, you know, doing what you're doing, something is going to happen where you're going to die in those streets. But if you're living a positive life, you know, chances are that you, people will have good things to say about you. You know, you'll leave a legacy. You'll be done change somebody's life on that road. And the one thing that he told me that really made me really listen to what he had to say was everybody is promised death. That is the absolute promise from God. So this is the trial. You're on trial right now. You're in court. You're standing in front of the judge, the lawyers are litigating. And you are determining, are you going to spend eternity in heaven or are you going to spend eternity in hell? A hundred years of doing what you want to do compared to eternity of living where you not want to be. So, you know, they really, uh, really opened my eyes because I'm, I'm, I'm a strong believer in God, even though, you know, I, I went through the fire. You know, I, I, I owe all of that to my grandmother. I had a, a praying grandmother, you know, and I miss it today. But she, she taught me that God is real and he's only one. So let me ask you, you mentioned, you know, God is real. How, does God, how did God show up in your life before or did, did God show up in your life before versus well, how God shows up in your life now? Well, as I mentioned, you know, I've, uh, there's a lot of things that happened to me in the street. Certain situations that I had no control over, that I was mincemeat per se, I walked out of there unscathed. You know, there was a lot of times that there had 
<clears throat> excuse me, there had to be someone shielding those bullets or shielding that car, you know, shielding that bat from hitting me instead of the ribs in the head. You know, there was there was always I thought I knew that there was always some type of divine intervention because I didn't care. I didn't care. I I was ready to die for, you know, crumbs or my respect. It, it wasn't. Uh, I, like I said, I was uh, I was immense. I was drowning in the streets. When you said you were willing to die for. Did I hear that correctly? You were willing to die for drugs or for your reputation? Yes, yes, I was. I was willing to. Uh, I had a point. A point to prove. You know, I, I was under the. Uh, I was pushing the thought that if you were willing to die for your respect, you will be a, a amongst the, the, the elite, because most are not ready to kill for their respect. I feel like. I feel like I want you to elaborate on that because I'm not sure that everyone understands what that respect means in that context. So in the streets, there are the top dogs and there are the survivors. You know, there are the gorillas and then you have the monkeys, you know, the little guys that run around and hustle for shoe money and you know, try to uh, survive. Mm -hmm. Then I wanted to be the gorilla. I wanted to be the one when I say, this is what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. I don't need you arguing with me. I don't need you asking me no questions. That was my mentality to uh, dominate with fear. Because if you try to dominate with love, the one that's supposed you think is loving you is the one that's going to decapitate you out there. So it was always... Uh, be the toughest I can be, you know, never back down from a challenge mm -hmm. and, and, and stand ten told on whatever I was doing, even if I was absolutely wrong. There was no apologizing. There was no, uh, maybe we can do it this way. No. However, I see fit that it was supposed to be done. Now, this is from, from 12 to 19. I was, I was just, you know, I was misguided. I was, you know, being raised by uh, crackheads and dope fiends, you know, and gangbangers. So, you know, I, I didn't have, like I said, I didn't have uh, any other ambitions to reach for. I wanted to be a, a drug king then. I wanted to have blocks. I wanted to be able to buy my mama the big old house and drive in the nice cars, and, you know, have all the women and have all the clothes. That was my, that was me making it in my brain at that time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, <laughs> today I was a total fool now that I look back at it you know it was it was the foolery at his finest so well but I mean that that was what was modeled for you I'm presuming yeah that was all I seen that's that, that was all I seen it was it wasn't no uh I see, I had good teachers you know when I was going to school but school was school mm -hmm. you know you, I'm only at school for eight hours right. I, I get out of school I'm I'm running the streets and, and doing what I'm doing. I'm, I'm barely going to school, you know? So, uh, but God put those teachers, some of those teachers in my life to show me uh, the other side of the coin, mm -hmm. you know? So, cause when I was growing up, you know, we ain't had no food refrigerator. You open the refrigerator, it's baking soda and water. You know, mom's not helping with homework. I'm, I never met my dad. So when I'm going to school and I'm, I go to my friend's house, 
you know, my friend's mom is helping him with homework. She's making the sandwiches, you know, the house is happy, you know, she's cooking dinner, you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's an atmosphere that I have never experienced. So I had a chance to experience that going over my friend's house. And I think that really uh, played a big role in my life because other than that, it was, it was chaotic. It was, it was you know, uh, four quarter bags of chips, a dollar and two uh, little Debbie cakes. And that was my dinner. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So how does God show up in your life now? And I ask well, this because you, you seem to make that great distinction. Yes. I, I definitely uh, understand what, what, what God is right now. Uh, I am a practicing Sunni Muslim. Mm-hmm. So uh, I pray five times a day. I, I read the Quran faithfully. Uh, I go to prisons and I teach Islamic studies to uh, brothers that want to learn about the, the religion. Uh, I take brothers to uh, from work release to the masjid to get them some some uh, some Islamic understanding and to meet other brothers in their situation. So uh, right now I am uh, I pride myself on being a model for survival when you come out of those gates because I did you know take my shahada declare my faith within those walls. You know, so the first thing I tell the brothers when I meet them is, I could have been your cellmate right now. We mm-hmm. could be, I could be sleeping on top of you or below you right now. Mm-hmm. But I have chosen to do right. I have chosen to walk another path. And it's, it's, uh, it's very enlightening. You know, it's very, uh, I never had something to cling to that I felt that it was absolute truth. You know, and, and Islam gives me that. Islam gives me direction. It gives me focus on the important things. You know, so, uh, like I said, I had a praying grandmother, you know, even though she was not a, a Muslim, mm-hmm. she loved God. And I know that he heard those prayers that she was sending up to him. So he said a, a term I'm not familiar with. And shahada. Yeah. So tell yeah. me about that. What is that exactly? So Shahada is the Islamic word for a declaration of faith. Okay. And that declaration is that I bear witness that there is no God, but God, the God. And that Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, peace and blessings be upon him, is his last messenger. And so, do you mind sharing with me the significance of doing this in prison for you? Well, I think, I think that was the only way that it was going to happen. Because before I went to prison, there was no way that I was going to sit down and read anything let alone a book that I didn't understand, let alone a book that had no, uh, it, it wasn't going in the direction that I was going. Mm-hmm. So I think that Allah, I know that Allah set me down so that he can give me that. And that was the only way that I was going to get it. That's the only way that a lot of brothers are going to get it. Mm-hmm. It's being uh, confined and stripped of all the other stuff that distracts you and made to just focus on this because the Quran shines bright when you are entangled in this pace, when you are paying attention to what God is telling you, it all just falls into line. Like everything starts to make sense, you know, and that that's what keeps your attention because, you know, it's like, a, it's like connecting the dots. You know, you always wanted to know how can I get from this dot to that dot? And it's in the book. 
Mm. Now, so tell me about this. Is this part of what's in your book that you have out right now is about your journey? Well, no. So the first, well, the first book I wrote is called Would You Kill For Me? And that's kind of more uh, geared to my personal life. Okay. But this book, Cry Baby Cry or Not, the first release, is, uh, is geared to a 12-year-old girl. Uh, she was raised by a deaf and mute mother named Jackie. And Jackie is so filled with so much hate about her situation that she pours that hate into her daughter. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, don't listen to the TV with the value of it. Don't mm-hmm. talk to me. Sign to me. The little girl can hear. Mm-hmm. And she can talk. So mm-hmm. uh, one day, little girl gets frustrated. She gets mad, beat her mom up, and run away. When she runs away, her mother kills herself. Oh. So now she's in the streets of Chicago. She knows nothing about survival at all. She knows nothing about gang banging, selling drugs, prostitution, pimping. Hence the name of the book. Cry, baby, cry or not. Are you going to succumb to your surroundings? Or are you going to rise above and be who you're supposed to be? Mm-hmm. But the, the gist of my realistic fiction is not all stories have happy endings. This is where we get the gang bangers, the drug dealers, the, the pimps, you know, from the collection. You know, and Katrina is, uh, she's being led by some lost kids in the street, too. So she experiences prostitution, she experiences murders, she experiences gang life. You know, and she's trying to find her way behind people that, that don't know their way either. And so you've already given a little bit of a hint here, no spoilers, that this may not be a happy ending. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's a, uh, I, I want people to understand that because this is, this book is not for the faint hearted at all. Mm-hmm. This is a, this is a realistic situation where it happens every day in, in the ghettos of Chicago, New York, London, uh, Scotland, everywhere. This, this happens all the time from neglected kids being told to find their own way. So, uh, Prina, she's 12, she, she has a hard time. She's a victim of a, uh, she falls into a child pornography ring. Uh, she's a victim of, of uh, statutory rape. You know, so, uh, this is a, a journey that, uh, it's very, it's very emotional. It's, mm-hmm. it, it, it opens a lot of scars for people that have went through what Trina is going through and I may be proud not. So what do you think is the benefit of, you know, reading these books and who is your audience? Who, who needs to read these books? People that have, that experience these, these situations. I think that, you know, people don't like to talk about what they've endured. They're ashamed you know, admitting that they were molested or, you know, they were there, they were a part of some sex ring or, you know, my, my purpose for writing this book is to give some courage to those people, you know, to say that this is, you're not the only one that this happened to, and it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. A lot of people go through this. And in order for the healing to start, you have to acknowledge that you are hurting, you know, even though we've masked it up, and, you know, put it in the closet and threw all the junk on top of it, it's still there. We know it's still there. So my purpose is to try to get that closet cleaned out. So let me ask you this, because um, 
this is obviously about a, a little girl. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have had in recent years some men coming out talking about their, the sexual violence that they've experienced or sexual uh, abuse that they've experienced. Are we finding that this is kind of an equal opportunity problem? Yes, definitely. For kids in the street? Definitely. I was a victim of statutory rape when I was five. I wouldn't say it was statutory rape, but I was a willing participant because, you know, a, a, a boy messing with an older girl, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm doing something. But really, now that I look back at it, it was, it, it kind of psychologically messed me up too. You know, I didn't value sex like it was supposed to be valued. I didn't put any emotion with it, you know, for a long time I, I did that. And, you know, it's, a, it's definitely a two-way street. You know, you have... You have more women, you know, feeling that uh, they have a problem with it than men because it's kind of like a macho thing that you you had sex with an older girl. Mm. But you know, it's uh, it still messes with you. You know, it's still it's still a uh, some some things that that uh, mess with your psyche. So, the next book that you have coming out, you have a book coming out. Uh, in January, yes? Yes, the sequel to uh, Cry Baby Cry or Not. It's, uh, I mean, it's just called Cry Baby Cry. I mean, the sequel is called All Cried Out. Mm -hmm. So now it's 12 years later, 10 years, 10 to 12 years later, and uh, Trina and her friend Mimi come back together. And uh, Trina has fallen into the street life, she, but she's not in the streets. She's uh, a contract killer. And she has, uh, she takes contracts from judge, I mean, you know, uh, hierarchy, uh, businessmen of Chicago. Mm -hmm. So uh, then you have Duke. Duke is more of a community activist. And uh, he's been, you know, on the streets advocating, you know, this is not where you need to be. He's out there, you know, talking to the teenagers, you know, giving them jobs, uh, buying them shoes. You know, he's, he's hands on with the situation until he comes into a crossroad where his brother-in-law is murdered by a young man in the street. Mm. And he's torn between valuing the lives that he's been trying to save or taking this life that took his brother-in-law's life. So, you know, it's, a, it's kind of layered mm -hmm. to, sh to show the, the depth of streets of Chicago. So is Duke loosely based on you? Uh, Duke is actually my nephew's name, so uh, I would probably say yes. You know, I, I see a lot of uh, I see a lot of uh, similarities to me with Duke. You know, uh, he is a Muslim, uh, and he's a he's a very uh, charismatic guy. So I would say yeah, I would I would uh, equate him to me. So what kinds of things, tell me about your community activism. I'm curious about that. So what's the name of your organization again? H-A-C-C, L-L-C. H-A-C-C, what's that stand for? Uh, Heavily Arms Child Care. It's a, a acronym from uh, my, me and my wife's daycare center. Oh, okay. So uh, we, we uh, specialize in uh, teen pregnancy, uh, STD awareness. Uh, we did a big... Uh, basketball game for an anti-bullying campaign where we had NFL players come out and play a basketball game, raise a little money, 
it didn't turn out as good as I would like it to, but uh, it's that fun. So that was the most important thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, we, we, uh, we're trying to uh, definitely be a, a staple in the community. You know, product of, product of these streets, man. And we're trying to uh, show these kids that you can do whatever you want to be. No one told me that until it was too late for me. Uh, I was already doing what I was doing when I found out about uh, jobs other than teachers or crossing guards or, you know, Right. People that I was seeing every day, I I had no idea that, you know, you can be a, a I, I didn't even know about mechanics for real. I, it was, I was just, you know, I was a product of, of my environment for real, for real. So, I mean, what I'm hearing you saying, though, is how important it is for kids to have a variety of people that look like them to model that behavior, model those different uh, careers and so forth to show them what they could possibly be. Yes, we definitely, that is definitely what I'm saying. And I, I've, I've uh, implemented that into my center. I have a day where we have professionals come in. We've, uh, so far we had maybe uh, 10 professionals. We had a police officer, a firefighter, uh, an engineer. We had a, a insurance salesman. We've had a couple of uh, people come in of African-American descent and, you know, describe what they do for a living, you know, and a couple of pictures, and, you know, show them, you know, how they were living a little bit to give them a little motivation because everybody, you know, like to see prosperity, you know, right. maybe that would, you know, uh, that's what I want to be because I want some money when I grow up. I want to be an architect because he got a nice house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we're trying to spark that flame. We're trying to uh, give them something to reach for, you know, give them some, give them some, some admirations. Well, and, you know, this just reminds me of something, I don't know if you read um, Becoming, Michelle Obama's book, but she talked about um, growing up right there by the university and never, it, it never even really dawning on her as a kid that that's someplace that she could be. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so, I mean, it's really important, I think, on so many levels that it's not just seeing people that look like us and hearing from them about their careers, but also maybe seeing people who look like us and maybe going with them to different places that you otherwise might not go. Right. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, I think that is huge in the black community and Hispanic community because we don't see, you know, we, there was from the age, as far as I can remember to about maybe 15, I did not leave my neighborhood. I didn't catch the bus to go anywhere. I didn't go to the movie. I didn't go nowhere. I just was a six block radius. I was right there all the time. Wow. So I, I didn't experience too much growing up, mm-hmm. except for what was going on in the neighborhood. You asked me what happened to Tom. I, I knew what happened to Tom down the street. It, yeah, I couldn't tell you what I knew what happened to him. So it was, it's, it's definitely uh, very important to... Uh, Give those, give some, give the kids something to reach for, other than what they see. If you wanted to encourage, let's say, you know, just urban professionals—that's what we'll say—urban professionals to share their wisdom, share their knowledge, share their time. What would you suggest that they do? 
I'm a strong advocate of hand-to-hand, I'm going to say combat. I'm a strong believer in putting yourself in the situation to show that you are here and you're not by via phone or via text message. You know, we are in the building and we, we understand what you're going through. So I definitely advise for everything to be hands-on. You know, it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's great to write that check, but it's better to pass out that material that you bought with the check. Mm, okay. So maybe what, volunteering in the schools? I know that the schools that my kids were going to, they always wanted to have people volunteering for stuff. Yes, yeah, that, I agree with that too. You know, community work, community centers, Boys and Girls Club, that's, that's a lot of uh, kids that, that attend Boys and Girls Club. Now, when I was growing up, we had a BBF, and that was just infested with gangbangers anyway. So, mm. But uh, Boys and Girls Club, definitely. I'd send my, my kids to the Boys and Girls Club right now. There is a lot of more options now than, you know, back in the 80s and the 90s. So, you know, you grab on to one of those, uh, someone that is doing the same thing that you're doing and have a number of kids in there. You know, it's nothing, it's nothing wrong with helping out the new guy, but we want to, I want to have as many opportunities as possible to help some kids. You know, if I can help 100 instead of two, I'm going with 100. Right. So, you know, find those those uh, those groups that that has been doing it for a while and have a method to uh, help these kids and just fall in and, you know, ask them where you can help at or sit down and listen and see where you can help at. Well, and now if you had anything that you wanted to say specifically to. Let's say your 12 year old self. What would you say to 12-year-old DeWandas? Stay in school. Stay in school, get off of those streets, and you can be whatever you want to be. You just have to find out what it is that you want to be. You have to invest that time in finding out what it is that you can be. So that would be my advice. My first advice would be to stay in school and to continue to play basketball because I was pretty good at basketball. <laughs> <laughs> I probably can be in the NBA right now if I'd stayed in school to do what I was supposed to do. But, you know, if I, if I wouldn't have made it to the NBA, there's always other options overseas or the D-League. Or, you know, it's, it's the, the possibilities. Or teaching. Or, or, teaching. Even, or even a coach, yeah. Yeah, a coach. That's, so, yeah, I mean, I, I would say those faces and those professions are definitely important to in the city youth. Well, Dewandis, where can people connect connect with you? Where can they get your book? Tell us all about that. Well, you can go to my website, uh, royalroarpublishingkingdom.com. From there, you can be directed to wherever you shop, uh, Barnes and Nobles, Books A Million, uh, Amazon. You can get the ebook on there. Uh, I'm also in Canada. I'm also in the UK. It's royalroarpublishingkingdom.com. On there, you find a little bit more information about me, too. Uh, I'm always on Facebook, Arthur DeWandis Johnson. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Royal Roar Publishing. I'm on uh, Instagram, at DeWandis Johnson. So, uh, yeah, check me out. Come in, and I, if you like, I can send you a free uh, 
free the first chapter of the book free to uh get you uh see if this is something that you could probably get yourself into because like i said it's not for the faint heart at all you know this is a i call it a reality fiction at its best mm. all right reality fiction so you guys make sure that you connect with Dewandis Johnson at Royal Roar Publishing Kingdom.com. And also you can get him on Facebook and Instagram, author Dewandis Johnson. Yes, is that correct? That's right. That's correct. And um, also Royal at Royal Roar Publishing. That's twi your Twitter handle, right? Yes. Perfect. Perfect. And guys, go out and buy that book and find a way that you can help, that you can share your wisdom, share your knowledge, go back into the communities in whatever way you can. You know, like they say, each one, teach one, right? Yes, definitely. I Together definitely, we can all rise up. <laughs> yeah, it takes a village. It definitely takes a village. Dewandis, thank you so much for being on Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. I appreciate you for having me, Michelle. This was a, this was a nice one, nice event, and, and nice interview. Next, we're going to have an encore presentation of a talk I had with Julia Black in True Talk. I know building a website can be intimidating, but you need a place where your audience can connect with you. Instead of fighting with technology, try the easiest, most flexible website builder available. With templates for all types of websites, ranging from landing pages to e-commerce, Urban Book Editor's platform makes creating an author website quick and easy. Just add a section, upload your photos and videos, type your text, and you're in business. It couldn't be easier. And if you sign up for an annual plan, you can get 10% off the first year. Just use discount code FIRSTYEAR. That's one S-T-Y-E-A-R. The number one S-T-Y-E-A-R in all caps. Take advantage of the 14-day free trial. No credit card is needed. Visit urbanbookeditor.com and select Create Your Author Website from the menu bar at the top of the page. No more struggling with technology. No more paying a small fortune to developers. Create beautiful websites without learning to code. Spend more time writing and less time worrying about your website. Just go to urbanbookeditor.com and select Create Your Author Website. You'll see how easy it is to build a great website to showcase your work. Go to urbanbookeditor.com and select Create Your Author Website today. So I'd like to welcome Julia Black. Thank you, Julia, for being on True Talk. Thank you for having me. Well, you and I, you know, we have all these conversations offline and on the show, but we were talking about dealing with things that are upsetting to us or that we feel are traumatic to us in some way. And so what are some of the ways that you think that we can deal with things that happen to us that are, that we find upsetting or that we have some kind of feelings about? I think the biggest thing, honestly, is to actually stop and, and deal with them. I think right now it's so busy because we're being pulled in 20,000 different directions. I think it's really easy to get distracted 
by work or social media or TV or whatever and not actually deal with things that happen is you have an emotion and then you get really upset and then you focus on the emotion without actually trying to work through any of it or pause to think about why the emotion is happening. Um, you know, I think um, acknowledging emotions and working through them is kind of imp an important part of the process of just kind of dealing with things that happen. Well, and you know, I know you're going to say, Michelle, you're so old school, but <laughs> <laughs> I also think sometimes we get really upset because I, I I know this about myself and I see it with other people. Sometimes we get really agitated and upset about things that are not that serious. Mm -hmm. And part of it is I think sometimes we haven't dealt with something else and therefore whatever this other thing is is triggering us emotionally mm -hmm. and we, you know, we lose our cookies. So I think I mentioned to you before, you know, when we were talking before for me, if I feel completely powerless or I feel like someone is not hearing me, like they're, they're just almost purposefully not hearing me, I lose my cookies. I will lose my mind. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. <laughs> the level of upset is usually disproportionate to right. the situation because uh -huh. what it's really triggering is this, this feeling of not being heard, this feeling of being powerless and not not being, being able to get my point across or someone not hearing me or purposely shutting me down. And I think that that happens more often than not. And then everything gets labeled as being so traumatic and so difficult when really it's not necessarily that it is, you know, yeah. it's really sometimes, well, there's something else that happened that you didn't deal with. And that's what you're really yeah, no, and I and I completely agree with that. I mean, I generally I generally look at any any emotion or any emotion that I have after I like feel it and kind of work through it until I calm down. Um I always stop and say, "Okay, what um what is what is the core of this?" is this really because this person said this thing or is this really because of something in my life that I haven't dealt with? Um, and it's so easy to move from one thing to another and not actually sit and deal with what comes up. Um, you know, we just have the emotion and we focus on, Oh, well, I, you know, I feel terrible about this and it's this person's fault. And it's like, okay, why you know yeah they said something that hurt your feelings okay maybe they weren't being as diplomatic as they should have or maybe they were being completely oblivious or okay but but why did it hurt your feelings what is it about you what is it about something that you need to deal with that triggered that that triggered the emotion and and this isn't to discount um legitimate well i don't know I, I think we can all argue what's legitimate and what's not because like right now there's this huge debate about free speech and people being able to say things that are inflammatory language and fighting words and all these different things mm -hmm. um i don't think it's ever right 
to go around just calling people names and things right. like that. Yeah, um, no, and I, yeah, and I agree you with know, that. So I just like to put that out there just in case people yeah. start, you know, I don't want to hear any foolishness from people. I, don't, don't contact me with stupid stuff is what I'm saying. <laughs> Well, no, I mean, yeah, I don't no, do I, I mean, well. don't get me wrong, I, you know, I'm, I, I, I believe we should be kind to everybody, so I don't go around calling people names, like, I just, I just don't. Okay, um, I disagree with you, I don't think we should be kind to everybody, I think we should be kind to people who are kind to us, and I think that, and I think that when people are not kind to us, we should try and take a step back and wonder if they're having a really crappy day and they're dealing with something, but I don't think we should be kind to everybody because if somebody's really um, a mean, terrible person, I don't think you have to be kind to them. I don't think you have to deal with them. That's my other side of that, uh, but that's just my opinion. So anyway, my two cents. That's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a much longer discussion. Exactly. A much longer discussion, but I, I'm a big proponent of removing yourself from the situation. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I've been that person who was being mean and, you know, I encourage people remove yourself from the situation if I'm being mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, just, you know, like we're going to feel some kind of way. Okay. So you have a breakup. You're going to feel some kind of way about the breakup. You may feel some kind of way about the breakup for a long time, particularly depending on how deep the relationship was, how long you were together, you know, and so forth and so on. But is it then something that should be coming back and biting you in the butt emotionally every three years? Yeah. Um, yeah. There has to be, yeah, there has to be a point. There has to be a point where you stop and you actually deal with things enough that you can let it go. Um, to quote Elsa from Frozen. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, because it's, it's vitally important for your own health, for your own mental health to forgive and actually let things go. Cause otherwise it just sits there and it stirs up and it becomes this giant ball of negative energy that just kind of sits in your body. And that's just not a good place, a good thing to have. Um, it really needs to be something that you can work your way through and deal with all of the issues and kind of peel away all of the issues of the onion um, so that you can actually move on and so that it will not affect you and so that it won't um, continue to revisit you and, and plague you with stuff, with these kind of negative feelings or whatever. Well, and I'm going to actually, you know, I listen to Abraham Hicks. Mm -hmm. I just, I love that. And one of the things that, that Abraham's always talking about is this, there shouldn't be anything to forgive. There's no need to forgive anything because you shouldn't be condemning anyone or anything. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really, I, cause that's the issue that I have with, oh, forgive, forgive, forgive. I'm like, well, if you have to forgive somebody, then you're saying that they did something wrong to you which means that you're, but why do you have to forgive them even if they don't ask for it? You know what I mean? To me, that whole term forgive is, mm. is problematic. Yeah. Because if I have to forgive somebody who didn't ask for my forgiveness, didn't ask for my forgiveness and, and doesn't feel like they did anything wrong anyway, because otherwise they would ask for my forgiveness, right? They'd apologize. Yeah, the term, yeah, the term is problematic and I see what you're saying. I, but then, then we can go back to let it go. 
is deal well, with but, but 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 I w what I was gonna say was though is that I think that I like the Abraham Hicks approach a little bit more in saying maybe it's what we should be doing is shutting down our judgment of what happened which is basically mm. the way I interpret it and and I and if anybody's a big Abraham Hicks student feel free to correct me if I'm misinterpreting this but the way that I interpret it as is the reason that we feel this way is because we have put a judgment on the experience, whatever it was, as opposed to just kind of accepting that it is an experience that we had. And that that experience that we had, however we may feel about it, helped us to get where we are now. And where we are now is the important part, not the where we were when that happened. That sounds weird, doesn't it? Very, very esoteric. And it is. It's, that's, that's, it's very existential and esoteric. <laughs> yeah. Very, very hippy dippy. Totally not like my Southern self, huh? <laughs> my Southern sensibilities are a little assaulted right now. But, um, but no, I kind of like that concept, though, that to some extent, it, it's, it, I think it's beyond letting go. It's actually more of a kind of an acceptance that, well, this experience occurred and, but it occurred in the past, therefore it's done. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and yeah, it, but getting to that point and saying it happened in the past and therefore it's done and not letting it affect your present is the issue because you can't just because because I can I mean I I I'm I am one of those people that I actually I logic my way through emotions mm -hmm. and I that's how I process them I have an emotion that I don't understand I stop and I think about why I'm having that emotion and then I go well that doesn't make any sense I shouldn't be having it um you know here or here and here are the reasons why I've dealt with it or I you know this person doesn't affect me or it's a stranger and they don't like me so who cares right so I'll kind of I'll just use logic to get my way through it but I still have to go through a process I can't just say okay well that happened in the past and therefore it doesn't affect me you know there's still there's still for me at least has to be a process to deal with it I don't know. I guess I, cause I tend to logic things out too, but at some point I, there's, there's this other book I read. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head where basically um, the lady was talking about kind of owning your feelings, like recognize that you feel a thing and kind of sit in that feeling for a while. Mm-hmm. And in acknowledging the feeling and sitting in the feeling for a while, that's how that feeling can be released. Mm. And that seems, uh, that seems like a good approach as well. Um, I'm not sure that, that, that any of this, what we're saying is actually different though. Um, no, I don't think, no, I, I would say that that's a, that's a, that's also, that's, that's kind of what I'm saying. I think sometimes, um, I, I'm also, I'm also, I'm also a ritual person and a symbol person. So just sitting with the feeling, if it's a, if it's a minor feeling or it's not super big, then, um, then I can sit with it and just kind of let it pass and that would be fine. But if it's a, but if it's a, if it's a very large issue, um, I can't just sit with the feelings cause then it'll end up, I'll end up wallowing in it. Um, 
So there and that's important. Yeah, that's important. You don't want to sit and I mean, but I don't know. You have a right to wallow. You can wallow for a minute. <laughs> oh, no, you can wallow for a minute, but you know, like, so I'll, I'll give an example. You know, my, uh, my husband and I have dealt with infertility issues. Um, and we made a decision, uh, a couple of years ago that we were going to stop trying and that we weren't going to do fertility treatments and we weren't going to do adoptions and we have our own reasons for that. Um, but it was still deeply, deeply upsetting for me. Um, and I knew all the reasons why it was deeply upsetting and I dealt with all of those issues, but I was still, there was still a really big feeling involved. Um, I was depressed for months. Um, and it was very easy for me to just sit and wallow. But after a few months, it was like, okay, this is, we can't, you know, I, I, I can't go on like this. I can't handle the, I can't handle the weeping. I can't, I, I can't live like this for the next 50 years. Um, how is this going? How, how is this going to change? What do I need to do to make sure that this changes? Um, but I eventually kind of got to that point. Um, because I, because if I, if I didn't stop and try and work through it and figure out how to get out of that situation, I would have wallowed for a long time. And when you're, when you, when you have a history of depression or when you, when you know the symptoms of kind of a depressive type episode, you know that it can, you, you can spiral and then just sit there. And I wasn't willing to do that. So, um, so I made a list. Um, I reevaluated everything, literally everything. Um, I questioned, um, you know, we moved. I, we, I, I didn't want to stay in the house we were in. I didn't want to stay in the job I was in. Um, I didn't, uh, you know, I wanted to stay with my husband and I wanted to keep the dog, but pretty much everything else. Uh, and we're still near my family and we still spend time with my family and we didn't like completely cut ourselves off with the, from the world, but anything that I could change, I did. Um, and, um, and that's helped because it made me, it, it made me feel like I had control over the situation, first of all. Um, but it also kind of gave me, it, it, it's done a lot of stuff too. It's given me the ability to start my own business um, because our finances are uh, not wrapped up in um, trying to save for kids. Um, you know, it's meant that we could travel more. It's meant that we, we can do a lot more stuff. So, it, you know, in the end, yeah, there are times when, still, when it still hits me and I'm still sad. But there's a lot that I did to make me feel like things were better. Um, you know, because I didn't wallow. Because I refused to let myself wallow for very much longer. Well, and that's key. I mean, I, I think that you have a right to wallow to some extent. And I, wallow is probably a strong word, but I think you have to let yourself feel mm -hmm. the feelings. Yeah. Because if you don't do that, you're never going to... Get past them. Yeah, you're never going to get past them because you're constantly going to be like yo-yoing back and forth mm -hmm. emotionally. And, and your, your brain needs time to process mm -hmm. things. So I, I would not deny anybody the time that they need to process. And for some of us, for some of us it's longer than others. And for some situations it's longer than others. Mm -hmm. But I think ultimately we, we definitely should not wallow. Acknowledge your feelings, but do not wallow for long periods of time. If you find yourself wallowing, 
for your standards, then look at why that is, what's going on. Um, we should definitely try and figure out why we feel the way that we do, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then deal with that in some way. And if that requires getting outside help, then that's where a life coach or a psychiatrist or psychologist or therapist of some sort may come in handy. Mm -hmm. And then, like you said, problem solve, make lists, figure it out, you know, figure out what can you do to change things. And it might mean changing aspects of your life mm -hmm. like you did. It might mean changing the way you think about things, reframing. Yeah. I, know I, I end up doing a lot of reframing and, um, you know, and going from there. Anything yeah. else you want to add for, for folks? No, I think reframing, reframing is an important part of it because I think that there's a lot of self-talk that we do that is, um, that, that we don't even realize is negative. And if you stop for a minute and go, okay, how would somebody, how would an outside person look at this? Somebody who's not me, how would they look at it? Um, that's an important aspect of it as well, I think. So, okay, guys, so our three takeaways, we've got three main takeaways for you. You want to make sure that you acknowledge your feelings, but don't wallow. And if you find yourself wallowing, maybe spend a little time thinking about why that is and how you can shift that. Um, think about why you feel the way that you do and figure out how you can deal with it. And if you find that you can't do with it on your own, get some outside help. You know, you can talk with a life coach. You can talk with a therapist, a psychiatrist, psychologist, and get that outside help to help you to deal with your feelings. And of course you can problem solve, make lists, analyze, uh, think about what can you change. It might be changing your circumstance. It might be reframing, but there's always something that we can do to shift our situation or how we feel about it. So with that, thank you, Julia, for being on True Talk. Thanks for having me. Well, that's our show this week, guys. You can reach out to me online at urbanbookeditor.com or michelleberard.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram as Urban Book Editor. Send me a note. I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to send in some topics you'd like us to cover on the show. Make sure you tune into the show on April 10th when my guest will be anti-racism coach and workshop facilitator, Kaylin Kay. You can find us twice a month on Fridays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, and 8 p.m. Eastern at the somewhereinthemiddlepodcast.com. Let's continue the conversation. You guys be good, stay mindful, and remain prayerful. Peace and blessings, y'all.